BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the science of success. I'm your host, Matt Bodner. I'm an entrepreneur and investor in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm obsessed with the mindset of success and the psychology of performance. I've read hundreds of books, conducted countless hours of research and study, and I'm going to take you on a journey into the human mind and what makes peak performers tick. With a focus on always having our discussions rooted in psychological research and scientific fact, not opinion. Today, you're going to learn what made Joe Girard the greatest car salesman of all time. How Tupperware grew their sales to $2.5 million a day and why uglier criminals are more than twice as likely to go to jail, as well as much more. Because the science of success has taken off like a rocket ship since launch, with more than 80,000 downloads, we made the front page of New and Noteworthy on iTunes, and much more, I wanted to offer something to my listeners. I'm giving away my three favorite psychology books to one lucky listener. Just text SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to 44222 to be entered to win. And... If you've been listening and loving the podcast, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes. It helps spread the word so more people can master the science of success. This is the fourth episode in a six-part series on the science of success titled Weapons of Influence and based on the best-selling book Influence by Robert Cialdini. Each of these weapons of influence are deeply rooted and verified by experimental psychology research which you're about to get a ton of amazing examples of. Last week, we talked about why news coverage makes school shootings more likely by a factor of 30 times, which is crazy. How someone can get stabbed to death in front of 38 people and no one does a thing. And why you should always point at the dude in the blue jacket and tell him to help you. The topic we covered last week was the concept of social proof and how it is so powerful that it can literally override someone's desire to live. If you haven't checked out that episode yet, listen to it after this one. Today, 
we're going to talk about the liking bias. Liking bias sounds pretty straightforward, but some of the research is pretty astounding. You'll be amazed to learn what impacts our perceptions of what we think we like and how easily those perceptions can be manipulated in a way that materially impacts our decision making. Here's how Cialdini describes the liking bias. Quote, People prefer to say yes to individuals they know and like. Recognizing this rule, compliance professionals commonly increase their effectiveness by emphasizing several factors that increase their overall attractiveness and likability. And if you're unfamiliar with the term compliance professionals, we talked about that in the first episode of Weapons of Influence, and it's essentially a term that Cialdini uses to describe somebody who is wielding these weapons of influence to convince other people to comply with their requests. There are a few primary drivers of the liking bias. One of the biggest culprits is physical attractiveness. As Cialdini notes, quote, Physical attractiveness seems to engender a halo effect that extends to favorable impressions of other traits such as talent, kindness, and intelligence. As a result, attractive people are more persuasive in both terms of getting what they request and in changing others' attitudes." Unquote. The second major driver of the liking bias is similarity. As Cialdini says, quote, we like people who are like us, and we are more willing to say yes to their requests, often in an unthinking manner, unquote. And that actually brings up an interesting point. If you remember from the last episode where we talked about the idea of social proof, and we talked about how whenever there's front page coverage of a suicide, there's an unexplained uptick of more than 50 related suicides. And the, the factor that drives that, and we, talk, we, we get much more detail on it in, in the previous episode of the podcast, but the factor that drives that more than anything is when similar others uh, see somebody like them doing something, it drives them to that behavior. And it's very similar. It's a similarity and a crossover between the liking bias and social proof. But if, if you want to learn more and, and kind of dig deeper into that concept, the previous episode does a great job of explaining that. The third thing that really drives the liking bias is familiarity. Familiarity breeds liking in an insidious and subconscious fashion. Here's what Daniel Kahneman says in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, which is another fabulous book about psychology, by the way. Quote, a reliable way to make people believe in falsehoods is frequent repetition because familiarity is not easily distinguished from truth. Authoritarian institutions and marketers have always known this fact, unquote. The fourth major way that liking bias works is via Pavlovian association or mere association, as it's sometimes called. Here's what Cialdini has to say about it. Quote, the linking of celebrities to products is another way advertisers cash in on the association principle. Professional athletes are paid to connect themselves to things that can be directly relevant to their roles, sports shoes, tennis rackets, golf balls, or wholly irrelevant, soft drinks, popcorn poppers, pantyhose. The important thing for the advertiser is to establish the connection. It doesn't have to be a logical one, just a positive one. What does Tiger Woods really know about Buicks after all? Okay, now let's dig into some of the research examples that support and demonstrate some of these different manifestations of the liking bias. The first example is Tupperware parties. 
Now, Tupperware parties are something that today aren't quite as popular and aren't as frequent, but in the late 80s, early 90s was a just a huge social phenomenon. And you see it today. People do sort of different socially themed parties to sell things. And the reason that this sort of sales methodology is still around is because it's so incredibly powerful. I'll let Cialdini describe it here. Quote, in fact, consumer researchers who have examined the social ties between the hostess and the partygoer in home party sales settings have affirmed the power of the company's approach. The strength of that social bond is twice as likely to determine product purchase as is the preference for the product itself. The results have been remarkable. It was recently estimated that Tupperware sales now exceed $2.5 million a day. Indeed, Tupperware's success has spread around the world to societies in Europe, Latin America, and Asia, where one's place in a network of friends and family is more socially significant than the United States. As a result, now less than a quarter of Tupperware sales take place in North America. What is interesting is that the customers appear to be fully aware of the liking and friendship pressure embodied in the Tupperware party. Some don't seem to mind, others do, but don't seem to know how to avoid these pressures. I think that's a really critical distinction and something to draw out of that quote. The fact that people are consciously aware of the bias and consciously aware of almost this sort of awkward obligation to purchase the Tupperware, or if you've ever been to a, you know, a trunk club show, or there's, there's a lot of other sort of social sales settings and home party sales settings that people use to bring to bear the liking bias and to drive sales. But Tupperware showcases how they've used this sort of guerrilla underground marketing strategy driven in a psychological bias that's rooted in science to grow the organization to more than $2.5 million a day in sales. The next example is the greatest car salesman of all time. It's a guy named Joe Girard, and he was actually named the greatest car salesman of all time by the Guinness Book of World Records. So I didn't just make that title up. That's something that he was awarded by the Guinness Book of World Records. And the question is, how exactly did Joe achieve that goal, right? Obviously, he had to sell a lot of cars, but what did he leverage or what tools did he use to sell so many vehicles? I'll let Cialdini tell the story. Quote, there's a man in Detroit, Joe Girard, who specializes in using the liking rule to sell Chevrolets. He became wealthy in the process, making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. With such a salary, we might guess that he was a high-level GM executive or perhaps the owner of a Chevrolet dealership. But no, he made his money as a salesman on the showroom floor. He was phenomenal at what he did. For 12 years straight, he won the title of number one car salesman and averaged more than five cars and trucks sold every day that he worked. And he's been called the world's greatest car salesman by the Guinness Book of World Records. The quote continues later. Joe Girard says the secret of his success was getting customers to like him. He did something that, on the face of it, seems foolish and costly. Each month, he sent every one of his more than 13,000 former customers a holiday greeting card containing a printed message. The holiday greeting card changed from month to month. Happy New Year, Happy Valentine's Day, Happy Thanksgiving, and so on. But the message printed on the face of the card never varied. And I'm going to pause and interrupt the quote for a second because this is, this is a critical thing to pay attention to. And it's so simple, it's so transparent, and it's almost a no-brainer when you think about it. But 
you know, pause for a second and ask yourself, what do you think the card that he sent said every month? The quote continues. The card read, I like you. As Joe explained it, there's nothing else on the card. Nothing but my name. I'm just telling him that I like him. I like you. It came in the mail every year, 12 times a year, like clockwork. I like you on a printed card that went to 13,000 other people. Could a statement of liking so impersonal, obviously designed to sell cars, really work? Joe Girard thought so. And a man as successful as he was at what he did deserves our attention. Joe understood an important fact about human nature. We are phenomenal suckers for flattery. Unquote. Again, this highlights a very similar principle, which is the fact that people can be totally aware of the liking bias. It can be totally transparent, and yet it still drives behavior. It still influences the way that people think. It still gets into your mind and still impacts your thinking. And that's one of the, the core lessons across all the weapons of influence. You know, none of, none of these things are totally shockers, right? I mean, liking bias, that's not something that, you know, it takes a rocket science to come up with. Congratulations, like people who, you know, if you like somebody, you're more likely to want to interact with them, do business with them, listen to them, etc. Great. But the reality is, when you look at how it impacts people's behavior, when you look at how something as simple as a printed card that just says, I like you, drove Joe Girard to becoming the greatest car salesman of all time, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, that's a lesson that's worth paying attention to. There's something in there that is worth digging down and really figuring out what other manifestations of the liking bias are taking place in your life. What other ways has the liking bias shaped your decision making? What are some of the ways that you can use the liking bias to achieve the goals that you want to achieve? Let's look at another example. Physical attractiveness and the judicial system. This comes from a study in 1980. Researchers rated the physical attractiveness of a number of different defendants in court cases. They had 74 people in total that they rated their physical attractiveness. They came back several months later after the decisions had been made, the court rulings had been made, and they looked at how did those trials fare and did physical attractiveness play a role in the outcome of the cases. Here are the results from Influence. Quote, When much later, the researchers checked court records for the results of these cases, they found that the handsome men had received significantly lighter sentences. In fact, attractive defendants were twice as likely to avoid jail as unattractive defendants. In another study, this one on the damages awarded in a staged negligence trial, a defendant who was better looking than his victim was assessed an average amount of $5,623. But when the victim was more attractive of the two, the average compensation was $10,051. What's more, both male and female jurors exhibited the attractiveness-based favoritism. I don't think there's a, an example of something that we think of as more sort of objective, more rational, more bias-free than the judicial system. And obviously, there are a lot of issues with the judicial system, uh, which we were, we're not going to get into. But, you know, when you think about human institutions, obviously everyone makes mistakes. Humans are fallible. But at some level, I think subconsciously, especially, we hold the judicial system in a higher regard. But we, <laughs> when you look at the research, physical attractiveness has that sizable of an impact on court cases. It's staggering. 
Another study, which I don't have in front of me, but I think we've actually mentioned before on the podcast, I, I, the results, I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but essentially they looked at when somebody, when the judge had last eaten and basically right after the judge had eaten, like taking their lunch break or when they had eaten breakfast or whatever, their sentences were much lighter and much easier. But then right, right when they were coming up to lunchtime or right when they were getting to the end of the day, their sentences were much harsher. And again, it's, it's, it, it blows my mind that something that seems so, that should be so objective and so rational, something as base as physical attractiveness can exert that much of an influence. And I think personally, and I feel probably most of, most of the people listening to this podcast, if you were to ask anybody, Hey, do you, does physical attractiveness impact the way that you feel about people? Right. We're taught from the age of two to be like, no, of course not. Right. Don't judge a book by its cover. Well, even in the judicial system, highly educated judges are, are making decisions at a subconscious level based on physical attractiveness and based on the liking bias. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Edu slash podcast. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. 
Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want, and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Another example is something called mirroring and matching. And this is actually something you can try at home. And if you uh, are a follower of Tony Robbins at all, he advocates this and talks about this a lot. But mirroring and matching is, is something that's really fascinating. And, and we'll, I'll, I'll tell you kind of an example that you can do, and then we'll talk about the research. But you know, one thing you can do is actually, the way to build rapport with people is to mirror and match their behavior, which basically means somebody's talking in a certain tone, match their tone of voice. If somebody's sitting a certain way, sit the same way as they do. If somebody, you know, has, you know, if they have their arms crossed, cross your arms. If they're leaning forward, lean forward, etc. There's all kinds of, you know, you've heard that stat that X percentage of communication is nonverbal. What that really means is that mirroring and matching and sort of doing exactly what someone does physically is a, is a way to subconsciously create a connection with somebody and build rapport with someone even without ever saying anything. And, and one of the ways you can try that is if you're ever at a restaurant or at a bar, pick out somebody like a total stranger. And this is an exercise I, I think Tony Robbins came up with and just start mirroring and matching everything that they do. When they take a sip of their water, take a sip of your water. When they, you know, when they scratch their head, scratch your head, all of the activities, everything they do mirror their activity exactly. And what will happen is a lot of times that person will come up to you randomly and be like, hey, do I know you from somewhere? Because their subconscious has picked up on some sort of similarity between the two, right? They like you at some level because of the fact that you've been mirroring and matching them, because you've been doing physically the same thing as them. So I'll, I'll just read this, this brief quote from Influence where they talk a little bit about how mirroring and matching ties into liking bias. Quote, Many sales training programs now urge trainees to, quote, mirror and match the customer's body posture, mood, and verbal style, as similarities along each of these dimensions have been shown to lead to positive results. Here's another quote. A 1970 study conducted at the University of Pennsylvania by a guy named Dr. Ray Birdwhistle, quite the name, um, concluded that 93% of our communication takes place non-verbally and unconsciously. And mirroring and matching is part of the way, part of the reason that that takes place. All right, now let's take a look at a research example that talks about familiarity. Familiarity can be an extremely powerful bias. It's something that Cialdini draws on and that Daniel Kahneman, who we talked about before, calls the mere exposure effect. Drawing, again, from thinking fast and slow. Here's a fascinating experiment about familiarity that Kahneman and his associates conducted where they showed images rapidly and then later asked participants to rate if the images were good or bad. Here's how Kahneman describes it. Quote, When the mysterious series of ads ended, the investigators sent questionnaires to the university communities asking for impressions of whether each of the words, quote, means something good or something bad. The results were spectacular. The words that were presented more frequently were rated much more favorably than the words that had been shown only once or twice. The findings had been confirmed in many experiments using Chinese ideographs, faces, and randomly shaped polygons. 
the mere exposure effect does not depend on the conscious experience of familiarity. In fact, the effect does not depend on consciousness at all. It occurs even when the repeated words or pictures are shown so quickly that observers never become aware of having seen them. They still end up liking the words or pictures that were presented more frequently. As should be clear by now, System 1 can respond to impressions of events of which System 2 is unaware. Indeed, the mere exposure effect is actually stronger for stimuli that the individual never consciously sees. Unquote. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Think about that. If you see an image more frequently, you like it more. You're more familiar with it, and that drives you to like it more. But the crazy thing is, is if you see it only at a subconscious level, you actually have a stronger positive association with it. This is a really, really dangerous way that liking bias can manifest itself. It's something that at a subconscious level, the more you're exposed to something, right? That's why uh, Kahneman calls it the mere exposure effect. The more you're exposed to something, the more times you see it subconsciously, the more that you like it, the more that it can drive your behavior. And it doesn't matter what it is. They did it with words, faces, Chinese characters, randomly shaped polygons, all kinds of different things. And the effect still held. And it was more powerful when they showed it at such a speed that people were not consciously aware of it. It never ceases to amaze me that, that the human mind can be manipulated or impacted by something like that. It's fascinating. And if you don't think about it, if you don't understand it, it can impact you. But there are ways that you can still kind of combat that and defend against that. And that's one of the things that Cialdini talks about in Influence. And we'll talk about kind of in the learnings and recap section of, of this episode. But I mean, that that particular experiment is, is to me maybe the most powerful, the most interesting experiment on this episode. The next piece of the liking bias is something that on the surface sounds very similar to familiarity. And, and there are kind of similar undertones, but we're going to talk about Pavlovian association. The Pavlov experiment is the experiment where he rings the bell while he's feeding the dogs. And then he, you know, he does that for a while, conditions them to do that. And then he rings the bell without feeding them and they salivate. Great. The way that's, that's typically taught or the way people kind of react to that is, okay, cool. So the bell rang and dog salivated. Congratulations. What does that really mean? Right? What that really means is that any two completely unrelated phenomenon can be linked together and can drive your perception and the way that you think and feel about that particular object. So one of the most obvious manifestations of, of Pavlovian association is when you see an advertisement that has a celebrity endorsement, right? And often the celebrity has nothing to do with the product they're endorsing, but just having the celebrity endorsement itself is what drives those sales, what drives people to like that particular product. You know, if you like Peyton Manning and he's endorsing something on TV at a subconscious level, you draw the association, the connection between those two things and you like whatever he's endorsing more. And in Influence, they cite a number of examples actually of TV doctors, actors who played doctors on TV doing commercials where they advocate certain medicines or certain kind of medical procedures or whatever it might be. And it has a huge positive impact on the sales of that particular procedure or product or whatever it is, right? Which is totally ludicrous if you think about the fact that just because they play a doctor on TV, they have absolutely no medical credibility. But 
because of the Pavlovian association between seeing that actor on television playing a medical expert, people are driven to believe what they have to say and listen to what they have to say. And I want to tie this in with a quote from Charlie Munger, who's somebody I'm a huge fan of and somebody we've talked a lot about on the podcast. He really kind of hammers home how widespread and how relevant Pavlovian association is and how much it impacts huge swaths of our society and our everyday lives without us having any knowledge or any realization. Quote, practically three quarters of advertising works on pure Pavlov. Just think how pure association works. Take Coca-Cola, where we're the largest shareholder. They want to be associated with ever wonderful images, heroics, the Olympics, music, you name it. They don't want to be associated with president's funerals. The association really works at a subconscious level, which makes it very insidious. The Persians really did kill the messenger that brought the bad news. Do you think that is dead? Unquote. I love the analogy of Coca-Cola advertising and the fact that if you think about it, if you see any advertisement they've ever done, right? It's all about happiness and, you know, make the world a better place and let's all be happy and open happiness, all that stuff. You know, they're not running advertisements with president's funerals. And that's because those have a very negative, very sad association. But the reality is whatever they're advertising with, the association that they're drawing doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what they're actually talking about. It's just like the dog and the bell, two completely unrelated phenomenon. And just through repeating them over and over and over again, as the Kahneman experiment shows, you can link those things together and make people kind of feel and and really believe that there's a positive association there. One other thing I wanted to touch on briefly is the impact of flattery and compliments and how those tie into the liking bias. They did a study in 1978 and they found that quoting from influence, quote, positive comments produced just as much liking for the flatterer when they were untrue as when they were true, unquote, right? And I mean, that's something that's pretty simple and straightforward, but again, it's so transparent and it's so obvious and you can, you can give someone a compliment that isn't even true and it will increase at a subconscious level their liking towards you and how they feel about you. All right, so let's tie this up. Let's wrap this up and talk about some of the key learnings about the liking bias. I know we touched on a bunch of research and some of this research is mind-blowing, but there's really four or five core drivers of the liking bias, right? We talked about physical attractiveness. We talked about how that impacts the supposedly objective judicial system. We talked about similarity and how similar others can, and mirroring and matching can drive a subconscious sort of connection, a subconscious liking bias. We talked about familiarity, how, how just merely seeing something and being more familiar with it, even at a subconscious level, makes you like something more. We talked about Pavlovian association, about how just connecting to unrelated things again and again and again can drive somebody to like something. And we, and we touched briefly on the, the power of praise and flattery, even if it's totally transparent, totally obvious. So how can we defend against the liking bias? Cialdini cites really two ways to to potentially sort of catch ourselves or defend against falling prey to this bias. The first thing he recommends is to focus on finding and being aware of the feeling that we've come to like something or someone 
more quickly and more deeply than we would have expected to. I, if you just met somebody and suddenly you're thinking, oh my gosh, I, you know, I love this guy or like we are like, you know, new best friends and we just met, maybe there's something at play there. Maybe that should be kind of a trigger to just press pause and think, hold on a second, I need to pull back and I need to think about this a little more deeply. Why have I suddenly kind of jumped in and become, you know, so why have I started liking this thing so much so rapidly? And again, as we, as we talked about in previous Weapons of Influence episodes, the way to cultivate the mental awareness to be able to kind of flag those thoughts in your mind and, and catch on to them is with tools like meditation, which we will talk about in a future episode. The second thing that Cialdini recommends is the simple recognition of the fact that we like something so much when it isn't really warranted by the facts or isn't really warranted by the data is, is one of the best ways to combat that. So again, it's, you know, there's no perfect solution, but it, it really stems from self-awareness and trying to be objective. And even if you can just catch yourself liking something more than you should, or liking something for a totally, you know, no, no reason that you can rationally determine flagging that thought in your mind is enough to start building the awareness and, and kind of slowing down and saying, hold on a second. Why am I sort of falling prey to this bias? Thank you so much for listening to the science of success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm gonna give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're gonna get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.